Well, you know what? We've got music that we should use, actually, at the top of this stream that's really wonderful, and I'm going to play it now. Uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. Well, hello out there in Cyberland. I am Matthew Galt. This is Cyber. Now, we've all gotten calls from someone trying to talk to us about our car's extended warranty, even if we don't have a car. But has a robot ever called you to try to get the code your bank sends you when you log in? It hasn't happened yet. It might happen soon. That's the subject of Motherboard staff writer Joseph Cox's newest piece just came out this morning, The Booming Underground Market for Bots That Steal Your 2FA Codes. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on to this episode of Cyber. Thank you, as always. All right, so let's start today's episode with a phone call. Normally, if a hacker wants to break in your two-factor authentication, they actually have to call you, right? Somebody has to get you on the phone. A person will be trying to persuade you. Um, what we're about to hear is different. Uh, a robot mm-hmm. is making that call. So this audio is embedded in your article. I'm going to play it now for everybody. Welcome to PayPal's fraud prevention system. We have recently received a payment request of $58.82. If this was not you, please press 1. In order to secure your account, please enter the code we have sent to your mobile device now. Thank you. Your account has been secured and this request has been blocked. Please make sure to only enter your password at paypal.com. Don't worry if any payment has been charged to your account, we will refund it within 24 to 48 hours. Your reference ID is 1549926. You may now hang up. All right, so what exactly did we just listen to? It sounded like a pretty routine phone call. Yeah, so it sounds like a normal scam cool, right? Obviously, it's a hacker pretending to be from PayPal, uh, introducing a sense of urgency to the call, saying, you know, somebody's trying to transfer money out of your account, and we want to stop it. You have to verify it's you. And, you know, we've heard of of these sorts of scams and calls all the time, if they're from your bank, or they're from Amazon, or again, in this case, PayPal. But what does make this different is that this is entirely automated and relatively cheap, and incredibly easy to use. So where, whereas before, you know, if you were a hacker and you were trying to do this social engineering, trying to trick the person to give up the code, as I said, you'd have to call them up. And, you know, I don't like the sound of that, <laughs> trying to phone up somebody and have the charisma and the energy to trick them into giving up this information. I mean, I definitely couldn't do it. Uh, and hackers who don't have those skills either now don't have to worry about it as well because they can just get a bot to do it for them. They enter a number 
they're of the target, obviously. They enter a platform that the target is using, you know, the PayPal in this case, and the bot does the rest for them, essentially. Yeah, you've got a pretty great quote in here uh, that I thought was pretty telling. The bot is great for people who don't have social engineering skills, OTP, God, 777. Another person advertising access to such a bot told, <laughs> told Motherboard. Not um, everyone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and that's exactly the point. You know, I hadn't really honestly thought of it that much because I, I was thinking of it more on the, the automation aspect of it and sort of more the technical side. But when I spoke to this guy who's obviously advertising one of the bots, he explained, as you say, that, yes, this is for people who don't have the social engineering skills. And that sort of, you know, hit a light bulb in my head, like, oh, damn, this is really going to lower the barrier of entry for people who want to get your one-time passcodes or your 2FA codes, which, you know, 2FA uh, is traditionally been something that's quite hard to get around. Of course, that is why we have it on our important accounts or ideally all of our accounts, right? But this really does make it easier for more hackers to do it. You know, if you were a very skilled hacker or even a government agency or something like that, you could try and fish 2FA codes. Now, basically, anybody can give it a shot for, you know, 200, 300 bucks or something. So this is something we've talked about in a couple episodes now. And I think... After this, I want to do a deep dive into the subject, but um, can you explain to people like how important social engineering is to hacking writ large? Right, totally. I mean, let's say you are a penetration tester, which is a, you know, a good hacker, basically, hired to test the security of a company. And you want to get into their server room, maybe to plug in a USB key that will upload uh, your malware and then you can get onto the network or something like that. Well, you still need to get into the server room and there will be, you know, a security guard, maybe at the gate, maybe there'll be a cleaner walking around, maybe there'll be other staff members who, you know, they may not recognize you or something like that. That's a quite extreme hard example where the person will need to use these social engineering skills, you know, their charisma, their cover story, uh, their persuasive techniques to try to get in. But it's essentially the same sort of thing here, right? You have a hacker who is pretending to be PayPal, that is their cover, and they're trying to extract information from you. They're not trying to get into a server room here, but they are trying to get you to tell you something, your 2FA code, your one-time password, that you shouldn't be telling them. So, you know, often it's sometimes overlooked by members of the information security community. It's almost seen as like, you know, this sort of soft skill, which is just absolutely not the case. I mean, it's vital for not just uh, penetration testing, but, you know, straight-up criminal hackers as well and i think we see that with a lot of the sim swapping community you know they will they will port your phone number to a different sim card and they can get your text messages and then break into your accounts they do a lot of social engineering because they could just ring up verizon or uh, t-mobile or someone like that and trick them they're then social engineering the telco so it really is across a wide span of um different hacking campaigns and different criminal campaigns as well Right, because a lot of this stuff, and we saw this with the the Twitch hack uh, or the Twitch leak, and the Twitch hack and the Twitch leak. Quite frankly, a lot of the the systems, the computer system stuff, is pretty automated. Um, you can sell someone something, uh, a service that does a lot of that, the technical stuff for you. So it's really about being able to talk your way into the right room, right, or the right server. Yeah. quite frankly, right. Totally. And I think we've seen bits of that with our malicious insiders of companies, maybe not specifically the big Twitter hack, but they did get access to 
you know, internal tools and, and that sort of thing. And in other cases, that does happen where you can basically BS your way into uh, a capability that only staff should have or something like that. Right. And it's easier to do like the Twitter. The Twitter one's a good example because most of that happened across DMs, right? They were able to kind of talk to people um, in ch- like over chat where they didn't have things like uh, they couldn't read someone's face. They couldn't hear the tone in their voice. And all they had to go on was just what was being said in this chat. And it was much easier to like get passwords and things out of people that way. But yeah. Now, yeah. And, and that kind of brings it to the call, right? Where obviously you you don't see the person from PayPal in front of you. You have this call, which, you know, sounds pretty legit. They have a reference code in there, which gives it a little bit of legitimacy. Um, and of course, I think the main thing is that, which is really important for the flow of the attack, is that when the, when the audio call says, hey, please enter in your code, the hacker, meanwhile, is trying to break into the account, which triggers a real 2FA code, do get sent to the target's phone, right? And of course, that um, that real code is being sent to try to keep hackers out. Uh, but the call is saying, oh, you have to give us that code because we're trying to protect your account. It's very ingenious in how it's uh, tapping into people's sense of urgency, but also flipping the context of that actual real 2FA code that's being sent to them. That's the key part, really, of the flow. Yeah, it's funny because thinking about this, listening to the examples you have, um, if I were to get a call like this, especially because it's an automated system, I would, there would be a part of my brain where the defenses would go down and go like, oh shit, I have to take, I have to fix this right now or something bad's going to happen. Not realizing that that sense of urgency is what's being used against me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of their biggest weapons for sure. Being able to make you realize, damn, I have to do something for sure. All right. So I've kind of, in again, to that point, I've, I've gotten to this place in my life where um, I don't trust any phone call. Um, that's not from a number that I have saved in my phone or that's not from uh, you know, a verified quote unquote number, which is something that some uh, I know, Google is starting to mess around with actually having verified numbers. Um, is there anything at the level of the phones themselves or your carrier that you can do to guard against this? I know like Android has a pretty robust, especially if you're on Google Fi, has pretty robust systems for blocking uh, not just like actually blocking spam texts and spam phone numbers. How does iPhone handle stuff like this? So I think it would vary quite uh, widely between, as you say, the different um, handsets themselves, you know, Android or iOS, and of course the carriers um, as well. All I would say is that, yes, individual devices and carriers may have particular features, but I think to give sort of a convincing answer, you would have to actually test these bots themselves because unfortunately some of them do market themselves as being able to spoof the numbers. You know, so if you get a this um, a hacker pretending to be Apple, they do have the capability, at least they claim to in some cases, to spoof that number. So it would say, hey, this call is from Apple, you know, um, when, when when the call comes in. Um, so you'd have to really test every single one. And, and to be honest, we haven't, you know, really got the resources um, to do that. But potentially some filters would be able to stop it. But in other cases, I don't know, people may just pick up the phone because they may get that actual real text first. You know, they may not even necessarily get the text 
on the call, it may be, oh, I got, I got a real text from the real Apple or PayPal number, and now I'm getting this phone call, I better pick it up. Uh, there's quite a few variables there. Right. I, I kind of want to show people what this looks like. Uh, you kind of just beautifully set up the clip that we've got here. Um, you know, if you're listening to this, I'll, I'll do some theater of the mind for you if you're listening to this after it broadcast. But we've got a YouTube video that's embedded in the article on Motherboard that shows what it looks like. Um, can you, where did you find this clip? Who does it come from, uh, Joseph? So I, I just found this one on um, YouTube because I was originally going through some of the Telegram and Discord groups, uh, uh, channels and, and groups of these bots. And then I literally did a very basic search on YouTube. You know, I won't say what the specific search was, but this was one of the first results. And OTP bot was one of the bigger um, services. And we'll get into the, to what happened with them at the, a little bit later, but let me, let's play this. So we're seeing someone basically use the service here, correct? They're, yeah, they're, they're entering a phone number which they want to target. The bot then says, well, you know, what bank are they using? And the person just enters Bank of America. Very straightforward, very easy. Are you sure? Cool. And now it's already placing the call. And that took, what, five seconds? Something like that? Yeah. No. And now you should hear some audio of the actual call. Yep, yep, it's coming up. From your Bank of America account. If it was not, you please press one. We have not received any input from you. We have received a login request from your Bank of America account. If it was not, you please press 1. We need to confirm your identity before blocking this request. Please enter the six-digit confirmation code we have sent you your number followed by the pound key. You have entered 564564. Press 1 to confirm or press 2 to re-enter. We have successfully verified your identity. If any amount debited, no need to worry. It will be credited back to your account within 24 hours. Thank you very much. Goodbye. One of the things I love about this clip is that there is this... um, when you get spam and when you get phishing emails, usually the, the grammar and if you're kind of paying attention, there's like a smell to them, I guess is the best way I can think of to put it. There's something off, right? And this call at the very end of it, some of the way that phrases stuff at the end and the robots, not quite as good as you may hear from like a bank. Um, after the person's already given the number, uh, it would be like, Oh, this was a scam call. It doesn't sound right. Um, can we talk a little bit more about like, what is the back end of this? Thing. Like, what is this? Where, who, what is the robocall uh, software that's being used here? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I guess just first on the front end is that it is all built around typically Telegram or Discord, which is, of course, great from a usability point of view. But after you put in the phone number and you choose the target, on the back end, the bot will be, which, you know, the bot is basically uh, a combination of a load of different services kind of thrown together. On the back end, it will use something. Well, it will either use Twilio, uh, literally, or will use something like it. And that is a company that provides a series of APIs for businesses to 
automate and streamline the process of making calls or sending messages, which is obviously perfect in this case. You know, if you want to take a phone number and select a specific script, you put that into the API. Okay, now please make a call to that number and please read that script. Um, it's going to be uh, that sort of flow, essentially. Do we have any idea how ubiquitous this actually is? This is something that you just stumbled upon, right? Yeah, so, I mean, Brian Krebs covered one in February because the UK's National Crime Agency arrested some people connected to one. Um, And then some various threat intelligence companies have sort of touched on it uh, as well, uh, very recently, you know, in September. I started looking into it in August uh, and just didn't really get around to having enough to publish, you know, it was quite busy for us at the time. But then sort of the breakthrough was going into these telegram groups, which did give an idea of the scale. And, you know, one of them has something like 2,800 members, another one has 2,500 members. And uh, just earlier today, you know, I double checked and one had 600 people online, you know, out of those 2,000 plus or something. Now, of course, they may not all be paying customers. Some of them may be, you know, journalists or uh, infosec researchers, or maybe just wannabe fraudsters. But I think there's a good chance that a sizable chunk of them are actually going to be um, paying customers of the bot, or at least potentially interested. You know, So I was kind of surprised. I thought it was going to be, oh, maybe 200 people or 300 tops. You know, But no, there are thousands in these Telegram groups. All right. And uh, if I, wanna, if I would want to purchase the services of one of these bots, uh, what would it run me? So they they do a sort of subscription model where it might be one month for a few hundred dollars, something like that, you know, three, four hundred. It all varies between all the different bots, sometimes up to 500. And then there could be a a lifetime sort of membership for a few thousand. And that goes between two and three thousand, at least when I was comparing some of the prices. So, I mean, if you're making a lot of money using these sorts of bots to break into accounts and they saw an alleged screenshot of a Wells Fargo transfer for $5,000 this morning that someone claimed they used the bot for, um, you you may get your money back if you pay 3000 for a lifetime membership, you know. And what, what is the threat model here? Like, who is in danger of being targeted for this thing? Do we have, like, $5,000 feels like pretty, it's a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, that feels like small change for this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, ordinarily and before this, um, being targeted by somebody that was bypassing SMS 2FA or app-based 2FA, you know, maybe your Google Authenticator, that sort of thing, you would usually have to be pretty damn targeted. You know, maybe you have a large amount of cryptocurrency, maybe you work in that space, something like that. And these were the people who would be targeted by SIM swapping or other sort of social engineering or 2FA attacks. Now it is so streamlined and so easy just to buy one of these bots, I think that as well as dramatically lowering the barrier of entry, it also potentially opens up these sorts of attacks to all sorts of different people. And, you know, if some of these screenshots are to be believed where they're just breaking into bank accounts, you know, which obviously a lot of people have a bank account, right? Um, I would not be surprised if this does sort of kick off a wave of more attacks, which is not to say, oh my God, 2FA is broken, you know, we're absolutely totally exposed to all this. No, they still have to do the phishing call. They still have to convince the victim. And, you know, this doesn't work against some phishing-resistant 
um, forms of 2FA, which we mentioned in the piece. You know, more than anything, this raises the question of what is Amazon, PayPal, uh, Coinbase, whoever, what are they doing when it comes to offering phishing-resistant uh, 2FA? Because, you know, ultimately it's on these services, right? You can't use a hardware security key if the website does not offer the uh, capability to do that. Right. And you reached out to Coinbase, Amazon, Bank of America, you know, see Bank of America, PayPal and Apple didn't respond to request comment, but Amazon, Coinbase and uh, Chase Bank did. So what kind of here, somebody's asking for a link to the piece in the chat. Boom. There you go. Uh, So what kind of responses were you getting? Kind of what I expected, really. You know, Chase Chase Bank saying that ordinary stuff of you know forces will target our platform, um, and you know maybe this is what users can do. Amazon, they did say that their workers use hardware security tokens, but you know I don't think they were specific on offering it to consumers. That's going to be two different groups. Coinbase was the most um, explicit. Really, you know, obviously being a cryptocurrency exchange, they are going to get targeted and their users are going to get targeted by much more financially motivated hackers. So they specifically said, we offer hardware security key, uh, security keys, which is not something the other uh, parties did mention. Um, so, you know, one out of what, six or seven <laughs> said that they offered hardware security keys. And it's a very tough problem to implement and get people to pick this up. But the existence of bots like these, I mean, it's just going to speed it up. Surely, because we can't rely on SMS 2FA reliably, I would say. And I also want to highlight here, I thought this was a very uh, amusing way to end the piece. Um, can you tell us about OTPs, the, the the bot we saw in the YouTube clip? Can you, you, you were talking to some of these people in the Telegram channels, right, as you were writing the story. Um, what happened with Blood OTP and its service? Yeah, so Blood OTP was like the first one I found, and I think that was in around about August, something like that. Um, and I think some someone covered it around the same sort of time as well, but that's the first one I found in, in a Telegram group. And I approached them and just asked, you know, hey, how's this bot work? You know, could I maybe give it a go? And they quite bluntly replied, no, the, the bot never works, and, you know, I can't answer your questions. And then they shut down several of their Telegram channels. It's like, oh, okay, well, he doesn't want to chat. And um, and then SMS Ranger, one of the other bots, uh, in the wake of that closure, started offering you know basically a promo of well, if you were using Blood, come over to us and we'll give you you know a certain percentage off the price. Um, that happens a lot in the cyber criminal and, and the normal criminal world. You know where there's a vacuum, somebody will step in and try to grab those uh, customers. But interestingly, what I saw yesterday was that one of the old blood OTP accounts now points to a different bot. And when I say it points to, you, you go into the chat and it just says, like, basically, go follow this account. And you do it, and there's another OTP bot. Which is, so I don't know if it's the same admins or the same creators or whether it's just an affiliate program. But, you know, people are moving on to these bots, even though uh, one of them, uh, even when one of them closes down. All right, so what can people do here? I mean, obviously, use um, use a physical... A token when you can, right? Especially for things that are important, like bank accounts, um, whatever underlying email account you're using to access things. Um, is there? Don't answer phone calls. Like, what? What can we do? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard because I, I don't think the the honest and the responsibility should be on the end user. I don't think it's the user of Amazon or PayPal or or whoever to have to be super vigilant about this. You know, the company should put something in place to allow hardware security keys. So if the platform or site does allow that, 
absolutely try to do that. And if you can, turn off the other forms of authentication. Obviously, you have to then worry about, well, I better not lose my key because that's going to suck. So you might have to buy two. Obviously, not everybody can afford or do that. So more generally speaking, really just try to keep in mind that it's very, very, very unlikely that your bank or PayPal or a site will phone you, basically. And if you do get a phone call saying, oh, my God, there's a unauthorized bank transfer or somebody's using PayPal to send money, calm down, hang up the phone, then go find the actual number of that bank or service, and then you ring them up yourself so you know that you're talking to the bank. And in all likelihood, you'll say, hey, I got this call, and they'll probably tell you, no, that never happened. So it's a very difficult mental switch and mental position to get into. But yeah, you basically don't trust the phone call when they're reaching out to you. Yeah, I think all of the times that I've been contacted by my bank for like fraud, it's, it is usually a robot. But uh, it's a much nicer robot than the ones we heard in, in those clips. And they also, they're like, hey, we detected some fraud. Call us. Hang up the phone and, you know, find the phone number and call us. Right? They don't automatically then go into talking to another person, uh, typically. You know, and I know every bank is a little bit different. But, yeah, I, you know, I think that's the best advice is to f- f- find the phone number yourself and reach out. Right? Yeah, totally. Basically. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Joseph, thank you so much for walking us through this. Do you have just a few more minutes? Uh, we're going to do a cipher, which is that wonderful part of cipher where we decipher the week's news. Um, I want to talk about some of your other stories uh, recently that you've been putting out because you've been, you've been hard at work. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. Sure. sure. All right. First, we're going to talk about uh, some drama with Mastodon and the Trump social network, which I think is very interesting. Um, the title of the piece is Mastodon Lawyers Tell, Pub- Tell Trump Social Network to Make Source Code Public. Uh, first of all, for those that don't remember, what is Mastodon? Yeah, Mastodon is basically an open source code base for you to very quickly spin up your own social network. So if you basically want something that has sort of the features of Twitter, but you don't want to use Twitter itself for whatever reason, you can make uh, a Mastodon instance, basically. And that can very quickly give you the capability to make a make a social network. And essentially, Mastodon is alleging Trump launched his own social network recently. Um, mm. Or there's a like a soft launch, right? It hasn't officially... Yeah, launched. it's rolling out, basically. Yeah, and some people found a URL where you could sign up. Yeah. Um, Mastodon is alleging that they're using the code without crediting them, essentially, right? Yeah, so I spoke to uh, Mastodon's, uh, you know, lead developer, uh, I think co-founder, and the they pointed to the pretty stark similarities between Truth Social and Mastodon. I mean, the UI is basically the same with the light theme. Uh, there's also a screenshot of the error message on the Trump social network showing the exact same error message 
uh, of Mastodon. And I mean, probably the, the biggest smoking gun, if those weren't enough, was that you, you go into the HTML of Truth Social, of where you sign up, and it still says Mastodon in the HTML. I mean, it is Mastodon. <laughs> you don't even need to be uh, ambiguous about it. But yes, the but Mastodon you know, does allow people to use its open source code base, but you have to do that under the license. And one of the... Um, the prerequisites or the requirements of that is that you, first of all, you credit it, obviously. You say, this is where I got the code from. But you also make your own uh, source code public, including any modifications you made to it. And what uh, Truth Social says is their their, co- their code base is proprietary, which, I mean, th- that's just not true. <laughs> when it's, it is Mastodon. So, the, you know, there's a bit of a beef going on there. I don't know what Truth Social is going to do, whether they will, they will make their source code public or whether they'll just simply build on another platform. But, you know, it's interesting to see these licenses tested a little bit because you often don't get the opportunity to, you know. No, it's, we, it's interesting to see like an open source code license case like this, right? We don't normally see this kind of thing. Typically, people are pretty good about playing by the loose rules that there are, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what sort of legal... Uh, issues it's going to turn up, but it will be interesting to see what Truth Social does at least. All right, let's drop that one. This one uh, caught my eye, and we've all seen most. A lot of us have seen these TikToks of the guy doing the Skyrim in real life thing, right? The, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of TikTok, but I have seen those because um, I'm a gamer, and they kind of they crop up. Uh, this <laughs> one is alleged TikTok Skyrim IRL murders show. Yeah, sorry, I screwed up your headline. Alleged TikTok Skyrim IRL, IRL murders shows the real danger of stalkerware. Uh, what is going on here? Yeah, so I mean, the Skyrim IRL pit is almost the, the not important part, but basically you have to know this guy, as you said, he made gaming TikToks, essentially. Okay, that context aside, he allegedly installed a monitoring app on his, on his daughter's iPad when him and his wife were having... Um, some sort of altercation or fight, right? And he leaves, and then he uses that app to listen uh, to the apartment, the the surrounding ambient audio, and he hears his wife talking to uh, her friend and laughing. He perceives this, allegedly, that she is cheating on him, and he returns to the apartment and kills both the male friend and her in, you know, obviously an alleged murder. Uh, Plenty of people covered this because of the TikTok aspect, but obviously what really stood out to us was we've covered stalkerware for a long, long time. Uh, these malicious apps that you know are very can be marketed straight up to spy on your husband or wife or something like that. Or in this case, at least in my opinion, it could be more a child monitoring tool and how that was leveraged or abused potentially here, right? So this case just really shows... The, the concrete harms of this sort of technology. We don't often actually get to see some of that because, of course, this is hugely sensitive stuff that people don't necessarily want to talk about. But here, there's a rare case where, we, where you can actually see the issue, um, you know, and the actual consequences of the technology. How long has this stuff been around? You said we've been writing about it for a while. Uh, what are some of the other stories that we've seen? Oh, I mean, so I can't remember the exact year. Maybe it was 2016, something around there. But me and Lorenzo, a uh, colleague at Motherboard, we did a short series called When Spies Come Home, which was all about the so-called stalkerware industry. And a lot of that relied on hacked data sets, ironically, from these companies themselves. And it showed, you know, 
I think it was thousands, tens of thousands of people buying this sort of very explicit software, uh, how it spread all across the world. I know I think we found some law enforcement people using it as well. But I think people will be surprised how common this sort of abuse is, basically. You know, of course, there is already the abusive relationship where this can manifest. But then the man or the woman uh, then leverage this technology in that abusive relationship and just makes it even worse. And in here specifically, you know, of course, maybe the man would have come around and allegedly murdered his wife and her friend as well. But the technology played a pretty crucial role here. Right. It makes all this stuff easier, essentially. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes, totally. And I mean, there was just one of the other pieces we did years and years ago is I bought a piece of the software and stored it on my phone. And then I think I got Jason, one of our editors, who was at the time you know, on the other side of the planet, to send a text message to the phone. And that triggered the microphone on my device. And I was sat, as I said, on another continent. So this stuff is super powerful. Or it can be very, very powerful. All right. I'm sure we're going to see uh, more stories about that as horrifying as it is. Uh, let's do one more. Instagram hacker forces victim to make hostage style videos. Uh, and it just looks like, I mean, exactly what you called it, a hostage style video. What's going on here? Yeah. So we see plenty of scams on Instagram, you know, accounts getting hacked, maybe saying, Hey, then go follow this account or something. But this one seems to follow a very particular model and kind of a devilishly, you know, a very smart way to weaponize not only the victim, but also their existing connections. So basically what happens is uh, there will be an account saying, hey, come talk to me about Bitcoin investing. You can make 10K if you give me $500 or something like that. The victim will talk to them. Uh, They will send them money. You know, so that's the first part of the scam. You already lost $500 or something like that. And in this case, the victim uh, reached back out to the scammer and said, look, I want my money back. And the scammer says, well, if you film this video of you looking uh, at the camera saying that this scam is legit, I will give you your money back. And that's basically what the hostage video is there. Did, did you want to play the video? I'm not sure if the audio will come through. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, uh, I just scrolled down and pulled it up. Yeah, I think let's listen uh, to what this sounds like. I invested $500 and got $10,000 back is real and legit. I invested. Right. So, I mean, yes, as, as you can hear that someone just, that someone is, just, that's the victim there. And they're just saying, Hey, this thing is legit. If you invest money, you'll get money back. And the, the important thing there is that, you know, the scammer then sent that in DMS to that person's other contacts. Um, and they also, Eventually, they took over the victim's actual Instagram account and posted on their stories as well. So not only has a scammer stolen money, got them to film a video, now they're distributing that video to other people to try to scam them uh, as well. You know. Ah, uh, yes, the horrors of the future are here. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph Cox, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through all of this stuff. Uh, we will be back again next week for another live stream cyber. This episode will be on uh, the main podcast feed. Uh, I'd say in about two hours. I think that's what it'll take me to get it up. Um, If you missed any of it, if you missed the beginning, the VOD should also be up soon on Twitch. Uh, We will be wherever fine pods are casted and we will be back on Twitch next week to talk again until then. (music) 
All right, we're out. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.